Shalom Aleichem. Uh, who in here doesn't know what a Rolex is? Who in here has... I'm kidding. <laughs> I could ask that question, but if there were hands, it would be very few. Um, so... For the younger ones, a Rolex is a very fancy, very expensive watch brand that you can get. If, uh, if you were very well off or you were very wealthy, most likely you would have one or more of these. And it's just one of the things that, you know, when you have, when that's your station, that's just kind of the stuff you wear. The clothes you wear is, is different and things like that. And you'll notice these things. I kind of think about clothes and that kind of, that's like Mark. Right? Mark can go to a thrift store. I can go to a thrift store. Mark can go to a thrift store. Mark can find the gold that's buried in there because he knows what things are. I don't. Mark can get that, and it's like, you know, what, what is this? It's like, oh, this is, you look it up. like, oh, wow, these are really nice stuff, right? And just sitting here at the secondhand store. To me, it just looks like another shoe, Right? So, with the Rolex, I just went and looked and said, okay, what, you know, what's a used Rolexes? Just kind of did a quick little search. The lowest end of a used Rolex is $2,500 that I found, okay? Most of them were, were much higher into the tens, twenties, thirty thousand, fifty thousand $30,000, $50,000 range. That's how much we're talking about. So, with that in mind, if somebody came to you, if I came to you with a deal and say, look, I've got a guy. And I've got a Rolex, whatever model, blah, 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 that uh, I can get for $1,000. And you go look up on the internet, what's, you know, what kind of Rolex and that model, all that stuff. And it's like, whatever, it's $10,000, $20,000 used. Would that be a good investment? If you had the money, right? That would, right? Because that's actually going to say, it's not just a brand, though. It's not just a name that carries it. That's a big part of it. But a Rolex is going to be made with uh, fine materials, with pure gold, real diamonds, all that other stuff in there. All the fancy stuff is real and of the highest quality. So in a lot of ways, it, it would be a good investment, something you could resell for a lot more than you bought it for. So I buy this Rolex. I make this great investment. I tell Lisa, oh, man, look at this. Man, we are, we are well off. She's excited, right? She's all good. It's not a gun. It's not a truck. And then we go through, and uh, somehow I talk to somebody who really knows these things, and they go, see that little thing over there where it says Rolex instead of Rolex? <laughs> or... Whatever it is, something like that. And then you find out that basically I bought a probably $40 watch for $1,000. Am I as excited? Am I going to tell Lisa? <laughs> That's going to be the struggle, right? <laughs> So you get the idea, right? At 
one hand, I think I got this $10,000, $20,000 Rolex for $1,000. My mood, how I'm feeling about everything is, is a one level. When I find out it's a Rolex instead of a Rolex, right? Not so good. But why did I take it? Why did I get sucked into that? Well, yes, ignorance is greed, all that stuff. But basically, we all want what's good, pure, and authentic, but we want a deal. We want a shortcut. We want it for nothing. We want it for cheap. We want to have the real thing without having to pay the real price. Those deals are very, the real deals like that are extremely rare. If you want the real deal, you're going to have to pay the real price and realize that's what it is. So with that, talk about the, uh, the idea. This is the diagram of the wicked lamp. Now, I will say I'm very impressed that it's actually survived on the whiteboard for three weeks now, two weeks, two whole weeks without somehow getting destroyed. So I'm real, yeah, that is a miracle. So, to understand a wicked lamp, let's go back. So, pull up the PowerPoint. We've, got a, we've all seen this a lot of times, right? This is the, the menorah, right? We look back over here. We have the menorah. That's the picture. The Father gave that in the tabernacle and in the temple as a picture, right, as a physical representation of so many foundational truths within his work. Right, some of these that Holisa has got up there is it's based the seven days of creation, the seven biblical feasts, the uh, the seven spirits of Adonai, the seven uh, congregations in Revelation. Right, just a lot of these things are patterns, and they build upon one each other, one another. And that's Holisa Elwines. That's her, that's her ministry. Right, is to, to bring this this truth out and a lot of things on there. But realize that everything authentic, every real Rolex out there has a fake. That's what the wicked lamp is. When I say the word wicked lamp, initially, what kind of comes to your mind? You think of a lamp that's maybe it's dark, it's made, maybe it's, it's, it's black, it's got black smoke pouring off of it, lit, right? It's all dirty and all that stuff, and that's actually, that's, that's Hollywood. The wicked lamp looks like the fake Rolex. It looks exactly like, it looks blingy, but guess what, ladies, are you as happy with a cubic zirconium than you are an a di actual diamond? Not so much, right? <laughs> so, the same thing. They both may look really good on the outside, but how am I going to know the real Rolex from the fake? How am I going to know the real holy lamp from the wicked lamp? We have to know this. It goes back, we talked about it many, many times about the counterfeit, right? How do you, how do you know what a counterfeit money is you have to study the authentic. The real menorah is made out of pure gold, hammered out of one work. 
It's pure oil that's put in there. There's all this stuff that's pure. The wicked lamp is costume jewelry. It's plastic or lead, kind of with a little coating on the outside. But man, it looks, looks good for the naked eye. But you, yeah, fool's gold. You have to know what you're, what you're looking at. So in Isaiah 11, 1 and 2, is basically it's, it's the holy lamp. Now, I will say there's a lot of aspects to it, but the one thing that's uh, more of the heart of it is the spiritual side. And that's what Tammy actually sends these, our daily delights out based on this. And that's a, oh, there we are. And the spirit of Yahweh shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom, understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of Yahweh, right? That, that's the pure. So we have to understand that before we can even look at this. So then you get over to the wicked lamp, and you'll see if you go to, uh, that's actually down below underneath the, at the base there, Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. That's where all this comes out of. And the wicked lamp, it says there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, or yours might say a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who soars discord among the brethren or one who separates brothers. So with that, there's a lot of different aspects. Just like the, the Holy Lamp, there's many different ways you can kind of look at it, many different angles, and they're all true. Same thing here. There's no, this is not a one-dimensional puzzle piece here. But one thing I brought to Mark that I was showing him, he said, hey, if he would like me to share this, is how we can become a wicked lamp. You as a person. So this angle we're looking at it today is I can actually turn myself, I can tend all this other stuff and actually become a wicked lamp thinking that I'm that. So how does that happen? It always starts off with the first, the first one, right? You see it's kind of broken down the, the words into the bases, the eyes, tongue, hands, heart, feet, false witness, and separate brothers. So the eyes of the menorah, the first lamp, the proud eyes, it's basically, it's our look. It says that in proud eyes, Felisa writes that pride, that it is, pride is that exaggerated sense of one's own importance and distorts every pure spirit of truth. It's also one, it's a look that looks down on others and thinks that his view or her view is the only one. I will tell you, can we all tend parts of this or have we and will we? Yes, we will. That's okay. That's part of sin. That's repentance. So that's the stuff we, we trip up, we stand back up, and we keep going. What I'm talking about is getting in and not getting out of that water, just staying in there and go ahead and becoming fully immersed. And that can happen if, the, if we're not listening to the Spirit to pull us out. 
So that's the proud eyes. Also, it's what we look at. It says uh, one of the things Holisha uh, wrote is those who love, and this could apply more like into, you'll see it more like inside walls like these. Those who love passing rules or making shows of keeping them or keeping others in constant fear of Torah surveillance or being a Torah terrorist are often demonstrating proud eyes, not the fruit of wisdom. This heavy burden is passed along to others under the guise and guile of correctness or obedience. That's how you can see this in our realm kind of portrayed, right? Eyes are what? Gates, right? They're windows. They bring things in their inputs, just like our ears are, right? So you can even add ears there if you wanted. The idea is, but for me to become a wicked lamp, a lot of times it's not only the looks I'm giving, it's what am I looking at? What have you been hearing all service long for all the words and everything? What are we looking at? Like the word said, or the, the word came, we need to be careful. We need to, Tammy said, we need to starve some things in our lives. If I said one thing that would probably be unanimous across everybody in here, me included, that we need to starve more would be what? Social media. Whether that's the phone, the Facebook, whatever aspect of it is social media. Okay, most of you probably know that right now I'm working in our security department. Long Keith is in the security work as well. We get different briefings and intel that comes down from the federal government about what's happening, especially outside the United States. Everybody understands there's some state actors out there. There's, there's countries out there that do not like us and want to see us fail and fall and collapse and go into civil war. Does everybody agree with that? So if I said uh, Russia's not our friend, would everybody agree? If I said Iran's not our friend, would everyone agree? Would I say China's not our friend? Would everybody agree? Okay, those are probably the biggest three state actors that are out there. But you know what? They've, they know this thing about the Internet. You know that they are extremely involved. Cybersecurity is one of the biggest threats there is. But it's not only the cyber like going in and breaking into your system and you know, stealing data, which does happen. One of the biggest things they have out there, especially with Iran and with Russia, is disinformation campaigns, is propaganda. Guess what? They are all over Facebook. They are all over Twitter. They spend full-time jobs just putting junk out into our social media. And guess what? It's stuff that we like and we share. A lot of it is may be absolutely true. A lot of it is some truth with a twist. Did God really say? Right? But believe me, when we're polarized, we're on one side of the aisle or the other, like everything is right now, they are working full time to keep that polarization alive because that ends up us fighting our, each other and going into a internal collapse, and they win. So they're doing it on both sides. So a lot of that stuff you see floating around all the social media, 
It actually was originated in Iran or Russia with a purpose to keep you angry, to keep you discontented, to keep you emotionally involved in a fight that might not be his. I'll give you one example. This is an old, I'll give you an old one. There was a photograph that was spread around. I just saw it not long ago. I know everybody's probably seen it. Former president, most would probably say that we wouldn't think uh, not the greatest patriot, not very patriotic president, right? And there's a picture of everybody up on a big stage, and everybody's like this, looks like financial anthem, whatever, and he's like this, without his hand over his heart. And that was spread like wildfire back then, and I just saw it again. And probably you can picture that picture in your mind. Do you know the truth behind that picture? They were actually, that was the, when the president comes up, they actually play hail to the chief. And everyone does this, except if you're the president, you don't do that. Does that mean that he was much more patriotic? No, that doesn't. But I'm saying that's something taken, that's that, did the father, did God really say Takes it out of context, spread it around. And man, it looks good. It fits exactly with what my mind thinks is truth. I grab it, and man, I spread that stuff like wildfire. That's the stuff. You want to stop doing that? Don't open Facebook. Don't open Twitter. Don't open whatever. Starve that like the word Lisa had and or Tammy had. Amen? So... The whole idea with the, with the proud look or the eyes is Philippians 4.8. If we're not looking at that stuff, it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things, look at these things, meditate on these things. That's the opposite of the haughty eyes. That's the opposite. So we have to train ourselves to be pushed to there. But if I don't, I stay looking at wrong things. I mean, it could be looking at wrong things as, you know, looking at things that are sinful and all that stuff. Absolutely, that applies. But it can just be totally getting us distracted from not looking at the Word, not looking at Him. So if I do that long enough and I immerse myself into the inputs of my brain, what happens next? It starts coming out my mouth, doesn't it? Whatever you have input, you're going to have output. It says, the lying tongue, Holy Sib writes, is may mix truth and deception. I'll say it does mix truth and deception, just like the serpent does. It's not all fully lie, it's the twisted truth. The other thing, James 3, throughout there, everybody probably knows it by heart, what, what does James, C, James, James 3 say about the tongue? What's that? Yes, world of iniquity, it's, it's a fire that sets ablaze everything around it. It's full of deadly poison. He says it blesses and it curses. It's like, how can that same member 
be such polar opposites. So that holy lamp and that wicked lamp, all right there in your tongue. And how the words we speak, we know what it should be like. The words we speak, the Father spoke the world into creation. He gave us some of that power within us. So we need to continue to, to hold on to that. And our tongue realize, we started this loop here of input, our tongue becomes our own feedback loop. Why do they say it's really good to actually read, if, when you're reading the Bible, if you can, read it out loud, even if you're the only one in the room. There's something about hearing the spoken word being created with your mouth going back into your ears, that feedback loop. But guess what? If you're spitting out poison, that poison also, not only is it coming out of your mouth, it's going right back in your ears. We create our own echo chamber. We deceive ourselves. Holisa writes, it's hard to believe a person with a lying spirit because he or she is so skilled at blending the truth or blending truth, falsehood, and omission of facts. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, instead of using our tongue for wicked purposes, therefore encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. Back to, back to community. What are we supposed to be using our tongue for? To tear people down? To set things on fire? No. We're to be lifting each other up. Right? Help pick someone up. Encourage them. Show love to them. After we've started this, we look. We got our tongue going. Now we got a little feedback loop within ourselves. What's the next part? The hands, right? What are your hands? What are your hands used for? A lot of times, hands are used in scripture, right? With the Father talking about your hand. It's basically your action. What are you physically doing now, right? This can all be done just sitting down, right by yourself. But you have to get up and actually the idea is you're working with your hands. Also, the opposite of in this spirit here with hands, what is it up there with this Holy Spirit? Counsel. Okay? We all, because pride lives in us, and I'll tell you, Scott, this entire lamp, this foundation thing sitting on is pride. Counsel, we want to be the ones giving counsel. We want to be sought out for counsel. We want to be the, peop- the person that everybody runs to to get the word. Holisa writes that because of the impaired ability to discern truth within the spirit of understanding, counsel will be imbalanced because the giving or receiving of advice or a judgment is based on lies or self-deceptions. Right? That's the first two right here. Nothing can grow here but a root of bitterness and an offense trap. You're finding yourself really offended. You're going to be checking 
mean, obviously, if you're out there in the world and people are throwing, you know, if they're, they're throwing darts at you, yeah, I mean, you can make it feel offended. But if you're feel, feeling offended in the Word, you're feeling offended in here, then ask the Father what's going on. Matthew 5, 21 and 22. We all know where this is, right? We're at the famous Sermon on the Mount, right? Probably one of the most awesome teachings Yeshua ever did, right, throughout Scripture. Within here, I'm going to do a little side note, and this is something that Holisa found out. Holisa was reading the, uh, there is a, Called the, I think it's called the Yom Tov. There's a Hebrew version of Matthew. Shem Tov, thank you. Shem Tov. It's a good word, the good name. Right? Is that right? Yeah, it's a good name. So it's a Shem Tov version. Within there, when we get to the Beatitudes, where it says, uh, I'm sorry, not the Beatitudes, but where it talks of where he starts to get into the, you've heard it said such and such, but I say to you such and such right? A lot of times that word but in there that keeps going and repeating, a lot of times in our Western mind, we think it said that, but that's not what it means. It really means this. That's not it at all. For those of you who know a little bit of Hebrew, do you know what in the, in the Hebrew, do you know what that but is? It's a vav. A vav is throughout, especially most of your Torah portions start with vav. Vav most, is mostly translated and or including. It's not saying, you can say but, it's not a wrong, but you have to realize it's more like, it says this, but I'm also adding some more to it. But I'm going to add even another layer to it. It doesn't mean that it's not what it was. So that's kind of a neat thing to, that uh, Elisa found out I wanted to share. Um, let's see, 21. And it says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But, this is that but or and, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother, and this is in not a legitimate reason to be angry with your brother, who is basically your brother's innocent, will be liable to judgment Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the Gehenna of fire, or to the fire of hell. So we all know that, right? Who in here uh, killed somebody this week? Nobody? Nobody's killed anybody in the last year or anything? No? Well... What Yeshua talks about, and this is what we understand, we can murder our brother how? Slanderer, right? With the, we're cutting him down with our, the, the hands of our mouth, the hands of our lips. So that's what we do when we take our hand, uh, the, the wicked hands that shed us in blood. We're shedding our blood, brother's blood because we are slandering him. Remember that all of us are made in the image of Elohim. So we should be very careful about who we are slandering. We shouldn't be slandering at all, but we look correct at. 
Don't slander at all, but be very helpful when you have a bad negative word to say about somebody, especially if it starts to go out publicly because you can't get it back and you may be held to account for it at some point. Amen? And then we get to the, to the fourth. We're at the heart of the matter, right? This is the, the spirit of Adonai in, in Holishas, right? This is the root. This is what's holding everything together is the heart. So what's the wording on there? It says, uh, a heart that devises evil, a heart that devises, right? So wicked plans. It is not a heart of love. It's not a heart of encouragement. Remember in Hebrew thought, heart is not just a feeling. We think of heart as like, oh, that's that warm, fuzzy thing that I get and all that. Actually, in the Hebrew frame of mind, that's your kidneys. So your heart is actually, it is some of this, but it's a lot of this. The biggest thing is your will. What are you going to do? What are you doing? What have you set your mind to do? That's your heart. Not, not the feelings may or may not be there. Like, like Tammy's talked about, I'm going to do it, bring stuff in there. It's covenant loyalty because it's the heart is, I'm going to do it regardless of how I feel. I'm going to treat my wife respectfully regardless of how I feel. I'm going to treat my brother with love regardless of how I feel that day because feelings are fickle. As Tammy said many, 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 many times, right? So, Holisa writes, the heart that devises wicked plans has some word clues. Evan, or wicked, comes from a root to plant, or to pant, P-A-N-T, to exert oneself in vain. This is something, how many people in the workforce, or even at school, how many people have watched somebody Spend tw- expend twice as much energy to try to get out of work than it would have been just to do the work. Usually, do those people realize that that's the case and just start working? You just sit there watching them go in circles and circles and circles, and they think they're beating the system. That's exactly how it is. They, why? Because they are self-deceived. They believe that they're winning. They don't realize that Everything, what Solomon say, it's vanity, vanity. That is true vanity. But they think that they're on top. It's an empty fruit. Uh, Proverbs 21, 2 and 4. 2 through 4, I should say. says that every man, the way of every, yeah, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but Yahweh weighs the heart. I'm going to stop there. Why would he weigh the heart? Isn't that a weird kind of term? The weighed is kind of an idea. It's when it said that when the father hardened Pharaoh's heart, do you know what it actually, what the root word means? Liver. He livered Pharaoh's heart. 
like, what? You know your organs, your internal organs, if you were to actually pull a body apart or an animal, of all the organs you pull out, the liver is the heaviest. Why? Because it's dense, it's thick, it's completely solid. So the idea of livering your heart is your heart is becoming thick, dense, nothing can penetrate to it. It's not flexible, it's not pliable. Your heart is supposed to be very pliable. It's got to pump blood. So that livered heart, so the idea is that if your heart's being livered, it's, it's actually getting heavier. So he's weighing your heart. He's weighing your heart trying to see where are you at. It says, to do righteousness or justice is more acceptable to Yahweh than sacrifice. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, are sin. And we all know that, right? We don't want to have livered hearts. Back over in... Don't need to blow my papers over. Back over in Matthew 5. I don't have enough bookmarks to get get there quick. Sorry. In 5.8. Yeshua said, blessed are those that are pure in heart, for they shall see Elohim. Do we want to see Elohim? Absolutely. So let's make sure we have the purity in our hearts going forward. And the purity is going to have mixed with love. The next piece of this is feet. What am I doing with my feet right now, right? I'm moving. If you look at the first four, up to the heart, that's kind of an internal. That's the building blocks of, of a walking, breathing, talking, wicked lamp. Is that wicked lamp content to be where they're at? No. They're going to spread the love. They can't help spread the love. they got to be on the move. They've got to be spreading their truth. They have to go spread. They need to go try to find people. They need open ears. Holisa writes, the feet that run to evil implies that the runner is no longer at war with himself. The spiritual Torah, the holy lamp, is no longer a point of dissonance. For the runner has submitted his very mind and heart to sin. You're convinced now. You're convinced all this other stuff is wrong, and I've got the truth. I've got my whatever. I know the I know the pronunciations. I know the calendars. I know what all the junk that goes on. And they're convinced, and they are going to go spread. And if you're not listening, they're not going to be around. They're looking for another ear. She also writes that instead of functioning as a member of a team. Now, a team, you go back to the days of creation, that could be a swarm, the flock, the school of fish created on the fifth day. The feet that run to evil are already in competition with somebody. Maybe with everyone. That's why they're running. They're trying to get ahead of the swarm so that they can turn it, they can move it, they can stop it, or whatever they believe they need to do to gain, maintain control. 
They want control. It's base. It's that pride, Scott. It's going back there. They want to be in control. They want people. They want to. They want to be the counselors. They want to be. That's all that stuff that's inside of you. That is the flesh. The flesh. The flesh. Mark, let me ask you a question. Why do they? Ever, why don't they ever just start their own works? Right? How many times that? Why don't they just start their own works? You got your own idea. You got your own thing. Why don't you? Set up Church of Tyler, and I'm going to go ahead and get an internet site, and I'll just start preaching to you, and naturally people come to me. They are not content to do that. They never are. They have to get into something that's already established and try to pull. They want to be Amalek. They want to pull from what's already there. They want to try to take it, or even better, if they can take control of the whole thing, even better, but if not, I'll go carve out my flock out of this flock. With the feet, Ephesians 6.15, we all know this is about the armor of God. When it talks about the feet, it says, To shod your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of Shalom. Everything that's kind of weird that, okay, what are we supposed to do with feet? We're supposed to put on readiness? Huh? That's a little odd. But I think the idea, what the Father showed me here, at least one aspect of that readiness, because we all know what readiness is, right? It's preparation. Being good, being ready, right? If, you, if you're about to go on a run, are you just being bare feet? Probably not. You have running shoes on, right? Well, when the Father talked to the Israelites in captivity at the first Passover, he said, I want you to eat it with your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. That was the feet of readiness. But you notice the feet of readiness are ready, waiting for the command of the creator of the universe, not running off on our own not going off on our own ideas, running around. We're ready to go. We should be ready to go. The Father says, it's time to move. All right, then we move. That's the feet of the Holy Land. Once they move, where are they moving to? They're not just going anywhere. They're not just taking a trip. They're moving where? I just said, right? They're going to try to find, they need to find a group of people they can influence, right? So when they get in there, it says they're a false witness breathing lies. Why are they a false witness breathing lies? Lie is the opposite of truth. What is truth? That's truth. If you're all this, if you've been saturated in this, you can't, you can't speak that. This is your truth. But your truth is costume jewelry. Your truth is a lie, and that's why you're a false witness breathing out lies, because you can't, there's nothing else you can do. Okay? They're kind of out of control at this point. They're basically on autopilot, and that's what's going to happen. Remember the truth of Torah, the truth is Torah, but it's not only Torah, 
It's Torah with love. It's Torah with a heart for my brother. It's a Torah for my heart for my sister. It's a Torah that Paul had to learn that. If you look back to the book of Acts, when I did a study a year or two ago when we did that, one thing that really stuck out is in the very beginning of Acts when Paul met Yeshua, changed his course, Paul wasn't very fruitful in the beginning. Because Paul still had a lot of Paul. Paul had the fire. Paul had all this stuff, but Paul lacked love. Paul had to go through some experiences to be humbled. And when Paul did that, Paul writes all about, if I have not love, right? Everything is love, 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 because he learned that the hard way. That is true Torah. If you've got Torah and you're using it as a weapon, that's that. That's not that. It may look the same on the outside. It's got to be with that. But if you feel something well up that you want, it feels like, stop, push it down, say, okay, maybe not. Pray about it. Figure out what the Father wants you to do with it. We need to be true salt and light. We need to be a warm fire on a dark night. We don't need to be a torch that's letting the, setting the whole forest and your house and everything else on fire. We need to be healers. They should come to us. That light should bring them in, and they should find healing because that's what the Father is. That's what Yeshua is. That should exude out of us. If it's not, we need to check our motives. Like I said, this is, can turn on at any time. Every single morning you wake up, guess what? Your flesh says, all right, jumps in the driver's seat, let's go. Every morning. Every morning you have to get up there and go, nope, wrong seat, get up. It's over there, passenger. If you don't, you just wake up and go on autopilot, the flesh is in control. It is never conquered. Not until Yeshua comes back and give us a resurrected bodies and a, a, amen, waiting for that. And Elisa writes, the fact that this false witness breathes lies implies that the wicked spirit has truly filled him beyond simply one member being yielded to the power of hell. The spirit he breathes out, the ruach that's coming out of his mouth, is actually a false spirit. And finally... What happens? This person goes out. They've been created. They've found people. They're a false witness, but that's what? They look good. They look good, so you kind of, you're brought into the group because we don't, we can't see the internal. You're brought into the group, and what that false witness will do, because they can't help it, is they're going to separate brothers. It says six things Yahweh hates. Seven is an abomination. This is an abomination to him because the father is desperately trying to gather his people together, like kind and like mind, draw us together in love, in truth, and that spirit is trying to actually break it apart, trying to cause seeds of doubt. Did the Father really say that? Is this really the right calendar? Is that really how you're supposed to say his name? 
Is that uh, on and on and on these little things and just and those, and if you're not listening, they'll go to the next year and the next year and the next year. Pretty soon they got a handful of ears and they just keep working that. Pretty soon you've been here, you've been happy, filled, man, this is great, and all of a sudden I'm no longer as content as I was because all of a sudden now I've got somebody feeding seeds of doubt in my mind and I start questioning everything and then next thing you know, we're not functioning as a body anymore. We're affected and some may actually leave. The irony is according, she writes, according to the last, the irony according to the last warning to the assembly of Laodicea is that a believer deceives himself into thinking it's the real deal. He thinks, absolutely, this lamp is that lamp. He is convinced. It's self-deception. She also writes that the deceiver baits, the deceiver baits with deceptions because human beings are willing to tend the wicked lamp. This is when we can get sucked in because we don't like to look dumb or powerless in front of another human being. That's pride. If I failed, I need to be able to say, I was wrong. I failed. I didn't say anything right. Or, you know, whatever the offense may be. we gotta, we got to be able to own it up. It's not, that's not a real proud moment for us. We have to be able to humble ourselves. The humility it takes to do that brings forth fruit. And when we cover it down just because we don't want to feel that Humility, we don't want to feel that being shined in a, in a negative light in front of people. That's just building that wicked lamp within us. And she said, also, we are lazy and greedy and don't want to inquire the goods, power, and knowledge of the greatest value and invest the least amount of effort in order to acquire it. That's what we talked about with the Rolex, right? We all, we want the pure, we want the authentic, we want the power of everything, but we don't want to pay the price to get it. Realize there is going to be a price. We talked about Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the one who's speaking truth, the one who's doing all of what's correct in the Father's eyes. He's bringing the true word. What's his reward? Dump him in the cistern. Put him naked in a cistern in the mud where they finally have to go rescue him. That is the cost. Sometimes it doesn't always have to be that drastic, but realize it's usually not the riches and the glory and all the adoration of men that we all that all all of our flesh craves. I mean, mine too. We all like to be liked. Realize, in closing, the idea with all this and why this is important is because this affects community, and we're none of us in here are immune to this. And we all will, I guarantee you, stick your foot in this lamp from time to time. It will happen. But you don't have to stay in here and cultivate this lamp. You cultivate this wicked lamp in yourself. You will think you're authentic. You are think you will write. You will pass every lie detector test they can put on you, but you will be dead wrong. And the thing is, it is something that only, you can only see because you understand really what the true source is. So I've had an awesome Shabbat, and say Shabbat Shalom.